Welcome to Hillhurst United Church, the podcast. We're really glad you're here. Whoever you are, wherever you're at, join us on the journey. Two things I want to say. We'll start this out. It will be lit before the day is done. And trust that this is the Christ candle. Uh, I think you've continued a tradition of a question of the day as you think of the sermon. I'm trying to help you and begin to engage with me. And so the question I think I shared with Danielle is, what energizes you? Okay, and so just a little background on that. Is that, is that being by yourself, going for a walk? Is that being with the crowd? Is it coming to church? Is it, you, I don't know, what's your answer? So I'd like you to meet people around you. I know some people are sitting far away. If you want to stay where you are, if you want to gather together, it's just a simple conversation. My name's John. What energizes me, it's obvious. When I'm stuck, I jump on a bike. What do you do? What, do you, what energizes you? I invite you to this and to this moment. Okay, I'll invite you back. Hopefully people online could name what they do. Um, I do want to say again, I'm so glad to be back, uh, and I'm so glad to have had three months, which is a great privilege as part of the ministry to read, write, and ride, which were mine. And I give thanks for this great community that just thrived uh, and found their way and continues to. You know, the church continues to move, whether we are here or not. And the way people came together and the leadership of Andrew and Ann and the staff and volunteers, just brilliant. Uh, and I'm glad to be back. Uh, believe it or not, I really am <laughs> glad to be back. And so many people said, you came back, which seemed like a bit of a surprise. <laughs> but yeah, I'm back. Sorry, I'm not gone yet. Um, and I want to share something of my sabbatical over the next three Sundays. Uh, and not, it's not a travelogue, don't worry, about really uh, about the three months because they were all different in different places and how they connect to you because it's your journey uh, to sort through. And so I give thanks for that. And so the question of energy is so important. Okay, please pray with me. So good to be here. The energy and busyness and 
and rushing and celebration of Easter. Last week invites us to the peace and celebration of this quieter day. We trust that in celebration and busyness and craziness, you are present, and similarly in the quiet and the peace, you are present. Help us to be present in this moment right now. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable and received and encouraged by you, O God. Amen. So, um, believe it or not, when I go back to January, January was a time for me to uh, reconnect. It was a chance for me, my mother, who's 95, lives in Ontario, it was a chance to travel east. I said in my sabbatical I was going to go east, west, and south, not north of the airport, and that is true. And it was great to go to be with her. She's 95. She takes less medication than me, and she is winning in Scrabble 5 to 2 at the moment. <laughs> but it's also great to be with other extended family who normally I don't have a chance to be with, with uh, nieces and their family and their kids. I met up with some Queens uh, boys I lived with in 1982, graduated, and people I hadn't seen for a long time. I also met up with people I didn't know, some colleagues in Kingston, Ontario, where she lives, uh, 80-year-old retired minister who's full of vibrancy working with the retired clergy, who thinks our job as clergy is to steward the language of the faith, to bring alive old words that have relevance, and then to meet with a 40-year-old minister who's in a small congregation, 40 people on Sunday, the building seats 600, what's it like to be in that kind of beautiful space, and her energy and passion to be with her. I also had a great chance to go and see the Leonard Cohen exhibit in Ontario. Did people, anybody see this? The uh, Leonard Cohen exhibit at the uh, College of Art in Toronto and to wander and to read and see the backstory of Leonard Cohen. So it was just a, a lovely time in that, in that month, but it was also a time to read. And what I loved was reading novels. I never seemed to make space to do that. And the novels that I got to look at were uh, so fun, The Unlikely Pilgrimage of Harold Fry. Anybody know that story? It's a great story about this guy who's retired, he's old, like 60, and uh, he's sitting having breakfast with his wife, and he, the mailman comes, he lives in England, and he finds out that a woman he worked with uh, 20 years early is dying of cancer. He literally gets up with his toast in his hand, walks out of the uh, house, and begins his march. Uh, the 600 miles to see this woman, Queenie. He begins alone, and then when people gather the story, they all want to crowd in and wreck it on him, but ultimately the meeting of this great uh, friend and reconnecting with his own spouse. So this beautiful comic uh, journey. Uh, Paper Palaces, a story about a woman who was wrestling, should I have married this person or should I have married that person? And this wonderful debate in her life. I also got a chance to read a book called Church on the Move. This is when I was in uh, November. I went down to Minnesota to read, uh, to be with the congregation to talk about fishing tips. And Travis Norvell there is like a kindred spirit. He's the peddling pastor of Minnesota. Do you know what he does? He, he goes out on his bike in the morning and he does a, a bike uh, path report on the radio. And I didn't even know this about him. And he wrote a book about how he believes ministers should pedal or walk their parish. That is, it's in getting outside and bumping people in the street and the shops or biking that you engage with the world in a different way. So I read his great book. I also joined in on the uh, John Newell book, uh, Sacred Earth, Sacred Soul. 
and I'm still reading that great book, and there's this beautiful line at the beginning where this woman uh, comes up to him after a lecture, after he's told his thesis of this book, and she comes up with tears in her eyes, and she says, I knew it, I knew it, I knew it. And so much of our theology we know, and she just simply said, I knew it already, but this beautiful book. And then two last books, The Good Life, uh, which I'll talk about, uh, a story by Harvard, 84 years, a study looking at what makes a good life. What makes a good life? And then the, the Myth of Normal, which is a Canadian bestseller about capital T trauma, that we may experience big trauma, but the small T trauma we all experience in life. And that's written by some authors in Vancouver. So it was a chance to do this great reading, which I, you, you think I'm doing it all the time. I'm not, squeezing it in. So this way it was a chance to sit back and read. But what was significant in this, this month was uh, the opportunity to go to Mexico. And that's a privilege. And I was given this opportunity to go and I could take anybody I wanted. And I went through my Rolodex in my mind. Mm, mm, mm. And then I discovered I was gonna go by myself. Now that may not seem like anything radical to you, but as an extrovert who's always wanting to be around people, to step back and say, no, I'm going just me by myself alone could cause trauma for someone like myself, but then step in and say, I need to go on my own. And indeed, it was a great time to go, to walk, to read, to swim, uh, to, to do my own space and not argue with anybody but me about how I would spend that time. And when I got back, a good friend said to me this great question, which is the theme of this sermon. They said, are you good company for yourself? Are you good company for yourself? And that might seem like a quick answer for you, yes, or a hesitant answer, no. But the truth of our spiritual journey is we have to be, in some way, good with ourselves. And so as I thought about it, I quickly said to her, yes, yes, I am. I am really good company for myself. And I talked about how that was in my time away by myself. And I recognize that some people are on their own by the choice they make. I choose to be by myself, as I did on that trip. Some are left because of divorce, and they feel like they're alone. Or the death of a loved one, and they're alone. Or sometimes life just has left them feeling like they are alone. And there's a difference between alone and lonely. I'm talking about being on your own. And so the question that they asked me, are you good company for yourself, was a really affirming opportunity to look at myself. Am I okay in my own skin? This week I mentioned the topic of this sermon to a young person. I said, I'm gonna talk about are you good company for yourself? And they quickly said, hell no, I hate myself. Hell no, I hate myself. I don't believe this person's alone with that kind of answer. I think they were saying that it's hard to be alone because when we're alone, we know what goes on. And she was saying, I don't like myself. My daughter, who is 25, who traveled for, January, or for February and March in Australia and New Zealand by herself, I asked her the same question. Were you good company for yourself when you were alone? And she said, I was with some friends for six weeks and two weeks on my own. The two weeks on my own, I have to say at the end, 
I am. She said, I realize wherever I go, there I am. Isn't that true? We try to escape ourselves sometimes, but there we are. On the Wednesday morning worship, I was talking to another person in this community about this very same question, are you good company for yourself? And the email came back, which she offers me to read to you right now, is her response to the question, are you good company for yourself? She had said, I accept that I live with a certain level of ADHD and thus procrastinate the hell out of a day. However, I also firmly believe that no time is ever wasted. Thus, I don't worry if my level of productivity is not always where I'd like it to be. I know that my worth is not measured by my accomplishments. I'm pretty forgiving and gentle with myself. I endeavor to be present, especially when I'm on my own. It took me a long time to evolve where I am, who I am, after the death of my husband, and again after the kids grew up and left home, and then again when I stopped working. Each new phase of my life was an opportunity to ask, who am I without my husband, without being a mom, without a paycheck, without affirmation of a career? Who am I? Am I a good neighbor to myself is a good question we have, to ourselves, we have to ask ourselves periodically. And she says to me, what about you? Are you good company when no one's listening or watching or caring? I hope so, because you, John, of all people, know that you're loved, forgiven, and set free. When you're at home alone with the cats and the dog, do you still live those essential truths? I hope so. Be present now. That's all that matters. What a beautiful reply to that question. Are you good comfort to yourself? You know, I have to admit that that's hard work for me. It's hard work for me because every week when we say the words, we are loved, forgiven, set free, I am saying them to you and to me. And there are days I don't believe those words. There are days it's really hard to believe that I'm loved really hard to believe I'm actually forgiven, and really hard to believe that God's saying, go, get going, you're set free. Hearing those words, saying them, and then knowing them in your body is the work we're called to do. Because when we are alone, we need to know we are loved, we are forgiven, we are set free. One of the great gifts of COVID, one of the great gifts for me was uh, as a psychiatrist, and in a conversation two weeks ago, he said to me, take those words, you're loved, forgiven, and set free, and stick them to your mirror. So you read them and see them every day. I have to confess I haven't done that. But I do every day find a time in the day to say those words to myself. Because I think we're our own worst enemy when we don't believe and trust those words, you're loved, forgiven, and set free. I came across a great article, as I believe all things fall into place. And the article this week posed this question. What if God comes to us disguised as ourself? Aren't these great lines? Like, we could just spend all day thinking about that. What if God comes disguised as ourselves? And in the article, this person was saying that it's easy to find God in a sunset 
in a poem, in a song, in the ocean, in the mountain, in music, out there. But what if God is disguised as your life and mine? We often think God's like a hidden treasure we got to go find somewhere. But what if it's looking in the mirror and seeing God within us? The article goes on to this great quote, what if God is most powerfully known in the world of my messy, broken, exhausting, hurting, and sinful life? Another great quote, like why is it that we're always looking out there when God is in here? It's so easy to look out there. It's so easy to be with others. It's hard work for some to be simply on their own because God disguises God's self as our life. So that's kind of the first half of what I say. We, got, we have to be comfortable in our skin. We have to do things in our life that help us know we are loved, forgiven, and set free and trust that, especially in the middle of the night, especially at three in the morning when the crazy mind goes, where, where we begin to tell ourselves stories about ourselves or stories about somebody else or stories about the past or the future when really we are called into that very present moment. And it's in that moment that we need to treat ourselves as we would love to treat a young child with a sense of love and compassion and understanding. But the truth of the Christian faith, it's not an individual thing where it's just me and God. Jesus, immediately after he was called, went and called people together into community. And the truth of our lives is we do ultimately live alone ourselves, but we have to be in relationship to others. It's a phrase I hate when couples say this, oh, they're my better half. I'm like, no, they're not. You're already whole. They're your other wholeness. Because no one is dependent on another person to be complete. And when people go into difficult relationships and start a new one, I always say, as I've had to say to myself, I have to be good in my own skin before I can be in relationship with anyone else. And so being in relationship with ourselves and being to, beginning to say to ourselves, I'm good. I'm good in my own skin is a very good question. But the Christian faith, which is based on the person of Jesus, if you look at his life, spent lots of time alone. Scripture will say he went off to a deserted place or a lonely place. He will have been with a huge crowd on Sunday morning and then slip away by himself to question himself. Am I good company for myself? What am I called to? Praying for others, perhaps? Maybe writing a strategic plan for himself. Who knows? He had to be alone to do his work. And then the beautiful scripture, which was, I believe, a significant scripture during COVID, when the people are saying to him, what do I do to inherit eternal life? Like, how am I going to do this? How am I going to live a long life? What do I have to do? What do I have to do? What do I have to do? Jesus says, well, the greatest commandment is this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and your neighbor as yourself. So it's a combination of loving yourself and then being in relationship. And the eternal life that they're talking about is not a good seat in heaven or escaping hell, it's about being present right now in that moment. Eternal life 
is now, that fully present moment. The book that helped me get this in my sabbatical is a book called The Good Life. This book is written by two Harvard uh, researchers who looked at the same people over 84 years, so a full lifetime for many of them, both rich and poor people in the Boston area. And you know the answer already, what it makes a good life? The book ultimately says relationships. The stronger our relationships are, the more likely we are to be happy, healthier, and live longer. And the strength of our connection with others can predict our health, of our bodies, our brains, and our souls. And the book says in many different beautiful stories about how friendship, whether it's romantic, families, coworkers, tennis clubs, poo pickup groups, uh, Bible study, whatever it is, those connections with others are what enrich our life. And they say it's never too late. The TED Talk on this book has reached 42 million people already. And I want to read a small section of this book, which I think is a terrific book, talking about the importance of relationships and why they matter. Global crisis will continue to impact our, impact our collective well-being. But as we struggle with how to confront these challenges, we must remember that every one of us has only the moment before us in the place we stand. It is our approach to each unfolding moment and our connections to individuals we encounter in our lives, family, friends, people in our communities and beyond that will ultimately serve as a bulwark against whatever crisis we confront. Thousands of stories of the Harvard study show us that good life is not found. The good life is not found by providing ourselves with leisure and ease. Rather, it arises from the fact of facing inevitable challenges and from fully inhabiting the moments of our lives. It appears quietly as we learn how to love and how to open ourselves to being loved as we grow from our experiences and as we stand in solidarity with others through the inevitable strings of joys and adversities in every human life, it boils down to relationships. Well, that you're saying to me, you haven't said anything I didn't know before I got here. And I want to say that's true. It leaves us with the question, are you good company for yourself? And are you good company with others? And I want to help you get this in your body by inviting you to, the, to do, the, do these actions. We are loved. We are forgiven. And we are set free. One more time for me. We are loved. We are forgiven. We are set free. May it be so. Amen. Thanks so much for tuning in to Hillhurst United Church, the podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode and are thinking about someone who might enjoy it too, we invite you to send it their way and help the podcast grow. We're really glad you're here and we'd love to know what you thought about today's sermon. Leave us a review in iTunes or send us an email at communications at hillhurstunited.com. We'd love to hear from you.